Um, so if you know me, you may know that I taught the kids in Kidstown for a while. And one of my favorite things to do with them was we studied a missionary every month. And I would teach them a word in the language of whatever country they were going to, usually how to say Jesus loves me. So we learned yes, I need from Chinese, et cetera, et cetera. So today, I wanted us to pretend that we're in kids town and I'm going to teach you a word in Romanian and this is the greeting for Christians the Christian greeting so I'll say it and then if you will participate with me you can say it after me so pace 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 good okay that means peace and that's the greeting that believers greet each other with when they when you are in Romania so if we were in Romania coming to church Pace frate, peace brother, etc., etc. So I just think that that's a fun thing to do when uh, we're learning about a new missionary. So on Sunday, uh, if you were here, you learned a little bit about my testimony, um, how, like Pastor Chris said, I've been here since I was 10 years old. I was called to missions when I was 13, actually through the missions conference here at Fellowship Baptist Church when the Kimmels came, and um, they were still on deputation. When they came, uh, I learned about who the Roma are. I learned more about Romania, and God pricked my heart. And so now, here 12 years later, I'm a missionary during our missions conference, so it's really, really neat how all of that just comes full circle. So now, um, I've been to college for missions, done a five-month internship in the south of Romania, and now I've been approved by Baptist Midmissions for a one-year term to go and work with their team in the northwest of Romania. And we can go to the next slide. This is our team. Now the Kimmels are here, so you'll see them, but they're here on the left with their daughter Amber. On, all the way on the right is Luke and Kim Warner and their kids, and then in the middle is Nikki Carr. So that's our team in the northwest of Romania. And there is an established church there uh, in the city of Lungshwada, and uh, I'll be able to, or in the village of Lungshwada, and so um, that's where I will mostly be helping in, um, and we can get into more of that later. But yes, I'm going for the one year, and then that um, should be leading into a career missions with Baptist Midmissions, prayerfully. So, Romania. Romania is a country that you hear about a lot, but you might not remember because it's mentioned in a lot of pop culture as kind of the throwaway random country. Like, oh, where's that from? Oh, it's from Romania. You know, just the Romania. Romania is mentioned all the time just as the token random country. But in reality, Romania is an amazing country. Of course, I think so. I love Romania. I love being there. Um, over on the left you can see the city of Oradea, which is the closest city to where I'll be living. And then on the right, we have the Black Sea and the Carpathian Mountains. It is just absolutely gorgeous. I can also tell you the food is amazing. It is one of my favorite things about Romania. Is the food is awesome, and I've learned how to make some of it, and it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So, uh, Romania is about twice the size of Ohio, a little over twice the size. And there they speak Romanian, which is a Latin language with some Slavic influences. So you'll hear a little bit of similarity to, to languages like Russian, but mostly to French, Italian, Spanish, those languages. Now the 
um, religion in Romania is Eastern Orthodox. So that picture up there in the middle, that cross right there is a pretty common thing that you'll see on the side of the road. It's an Orthodox icon. And then um, the thing in front of it, it's kind of a reminder, just like in Catholicism, for them to cross themselves as they're traveling. Uh, and the main difference between... I mean, there's a lot of differences, but, but the biggest one between the Orthodox and the, uh, the evangelicals in Romania is the idea of repentance. In Romania, the believers, the evangelicals, are called pocaiți, which means repenter. Literally, that's the meaning. And they were called that during communist times to kind of say, oh, you guys are repenters. Like, you think you have to repent? And they were like, yeah, we do. So they kind of just adopted it as their own. And now that's just what they're called, um, repenters. And so it's very important, of course, we believe that repentance is necessary for salvation, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we must repent for, um, repent for those sins. So that's really the, the biggest wall, you know, to push through as far as uh, that religion goes specifically. So then on the next slide, I've talked a lot about the Roma people. Uh, Who are the Roma people? Um, More commonly in America, they're known as gypsies. It's not the nicest word, so I don't use it very often, but if I talk about gypsies, I'm talking about the Roma people. And if I'm talking about Roma people, I'm talking about the gypsies. It's an interchangeable term. So the Roma are originally from India. They migrated over a thousand years ago into different areas of Europe. They're now all over the world, but a huge population of them are in Romania. They are the largest minority group there with about two, there's two million is what they say, but then there's also some census difficulties because some of them live in very remote areas. So it could be up to 3.5 million in Romania. And they face quite a bit of discrimination uh, due to their appearance, due to their, some of their cultural practices, occupations. Uh, and so it can be very difficult. There's a lot of barriers that they have because of that prejudice. Um, and they kind of live as a culture within a culture. So you can know a lot about them by knowing a lot about Romania, but there are things within their community that are just theirs. Uh, they live apart in general from the Romanians. And so it's, it's a little bit of an isolated culture, um, again, culture within a culture. A lot of them are very poor and they live in very simple homes apart, again, from the Romanians. So like I said on Sunday, if we build a church in uh, the next town over, we're not going to be able to count on the, Rom- the Roma in the next village to come to us. We have to go to them. We have to plant churches in their villages. And so that's what our team does with Baptist Midmissions. We go into the villages and we plant churches in the villages. So the main thing about the Roma is, of course, they need Jesus. Jesus came for the outcasts and he came for those who are maybe feel unwanted. The Roma people face a an outcast culture. You know, the people around them, just they, they feel like they're not wanted. They're not wanted around. They're not valued. But we know that God values them. And we know that God loves them. And we know that they are just priceless in his eyes. He died for them. And we want to tell them that there is hope and that they have a family 
they can have a family within the body of Christ that loves them and cares for them. And um, so that's kind of the thing that, that really pricked my heart when I first heard about them was knowing someone who is unwanted is wanted and they need to know that they're wanted. <laughs> it's just, it's a tragedy to not know that you're wanted by, by Christ. Um, so that's really what, what, one of the things that really drives me uh, to reach the Roma people. So what am I going to be doing? In the next slide, this is the church in Lungshwada. I took this picture in 2019. Uh, I was able to visit up north uh, for a little bit right after my internship was over. So uh, this is the church building. You'll see it's orange, and that seems a little odd. We don't generally have orange churches, but Romanians love color, and Roma lo the Roma love color. So color. Uh, I've seen churches that are pink. <laughs> so it's, uh, they love color, so we do color. Um, and this church was built, um, oh no, uh, five, six years ago, something like that, Hang over, around there. Okay, yeah, getting around there. <laughs> um, and we have classrooms and everything, so it's really helpful to have a building. And uh, there are just so many opportunities in the Roma communities for ministry. So what I'll be doing is um, going to be helping, you know, with the current things that are going on. There's a very um, healthy youth group over there. And so we have youth activities, growing relationships with them, discipling them, having Bible classes, of course, church every week. Um, and Bible classes every week. There's, um, you know, I talked a little bit about sun on Sunday about the education aspect of it. So helping with education to be able to read because we know how important literacy is, right? And the literacy, uh, people can be, I think it was, yes, 70 to 80% um, can be illiterate in one village. Like that's the, the statistics on that. And that's a real shame. We know literacy is so important, and literacy is important to read scripture. So that's something that we are really passionate about helping them with. Uh, also, starting uh, in June of 2020, we're, we're praying about starting a ministry to a group of people that we lose quite a bit, and it's really an international thing that this, this age group kind of gets lost, and that is the age group of preteens. So preteens can get to a place where they're just kind of like, okay, I'm a little too cool for this now. You know, even though the teenagers are there, the preteens are too cool for it. Uh, the word in Romanian for it is obraznik, which literally means cheeky. They get a little cheeky. And so we want to reach out to them specifically and help them to have those relationships and to really transition them from those children's ministries into those youth ministries um, and help them with that transition so that they can stay in church and stay in the Word of God. Um, the other thing, and you can go to the next slide, is music. I love music. I'm passionate about music. I play instruments, I sing, um, and I minored in worship ministries in college, so it's something that I'm really passionate about and excited to be able to be a part of in Romania. Romanians love music, the Roma love music, and you put that together and you have an explosion of a love for music, and it's a way uh, to, to communicate without language. Of course, we communicate with language too, but it's a way that music can really touch the heart and um, I'll be able to uh, perfectly help in the worship ministries. And we've discussed also having music lessons for kids um, and teenagers. And that's important for a couple reasons. One, we're always trying to build relationships. It's very important in any ministry to build relationships. And secondly, we are not only 
evangelizing, we have to discipleship too. We can't just say, well, God loves you and then walk away and not tell them what to do with that, (laughs) you know? So once someone comes to Christ, it's time for them to learn how to serve. It's time for them to learn how to live. And if they have a musical talent, that is a wonderful, wonderful way for them to serve the Lord, for them to worship the Lord and uh, work in a ministry. So it's something that I'm passionate about and excited about. So on the next slide, uh, I told you I did the five-month internship in Romania, and this is in southern Romania that I did the internship. I was involved in kids' clubs. We did a Thursday night kids' class. Uh, We had on Saturdays, the kids would come. We would give them scripture. We would play. We would, you know, again, build those relationships. And uh, also with ladies' ministry, these are all things that I've been doing. These are all things that I have experience in, and I'm just bringing that experience up to the Northwest from what I was doing in the South, taking that experience with me. So um, I'm really excited about being able to, you know, bridge that from what I've been able to do in the South as well. Uh, And then on the next slide, so I want to tell you a little story. She looks really, really cute. Her name's Nicoletta. She was, again, that word, obraznik. Yeah, she was a cheeky one, (laughs) but precious and loved by the Lord. Uh, I was her camp counselor during my internship uh, down in the south. And she lived on what was called India Street. I lived in a town, and there was a street where a lot of the Roma people live who are from India, and so that that street was nicknamed India Street. No one actually told me what the actual name was it, of it was. That's just how it was referred to. So one day, I went down India Street to meet with some of the kids that we were working with and to, um, you know, just talk with them. I'd never really seen where they lived, and so I was walking down, and the kids were all playing all over the place outside, and I met a woman at her gate. And the first thing she said to me was, Nu sunt pocaita. I am not a repenter. <laughs> Very first thing she said to me. Now, I've shown you mostly pictures of Roma people, but you'll have to trust me when I say I do not pass for Romanian. It is very obvious that I am not Romanian. Uh, but, uh, and so they knew very clearly, you're, you're American, you're an American, you, you must be with the, the church with the other American missionaries, you know, and her kids knew me, so it was pretty obvious who I was. Now, thankfully, in Romania, that's not the end of a conversation. Somebody saying, I'm not a repenter. Like, if somebody walked up to you on the street and said, I'm not a Christian, like, what do you say to that? And I'm like, okay, that's nice. Um, But in Romania, that's like the beginning of a conversation. And so, um, you know, we continued to talk. And she led me around her area, her living area. And Nicoletta is her niece. So Nicoletta lives with her, as well as a few, of, a few other children who are her daughters. So looking at the living area, it's not somewhere you would want to live. And it's the, the doors were not good. The, wall, the, the um, windows, not good. You could see through into the main, um, the main room, and you could see where the water had pooled, kind of, because the roof was really leaky. And so she was telling me, you know, I have, there, there was no man in the picture. She said, I, I have given everything I have to try and get a roof over these girls' heads. She said to me, she said, I have no shoes I, I, because I gave all, everything that I have to try and get a roof over these girls' heads, and I can't get a roof. 
I just know no one's helping me. I have nothing left to give and my girls are sleeping in a house with a leaky roof. And she was weeping as she's telling me this. And of course my heart broke, but I didn't have the money to buy her a roof, you know? And so I said, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, I can't buy you a roof, but if you'll let me, I will pray with you. So she, she said, yes, I'll let you pray with me. So I prayed with her that God would provide, that God would help her and her daughters and Nicoletta to be able to have a safe place to live. And uh, then when we were done praying, she was still crying. She thanked me for praying with her. Um, we talked a little more, and then I went home. A few weeks later, it was almost time for me to leave that area of Romania. And I wanted to see her again, see how she was doing. So again, I went down India Street, and I met her, and there were men up on her roof. And they were making a roof. And so she was so excited, and she came to me, and she said, she was like, thank you so much for praying with me. Now I know God has power. God is powerful. And, you know, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't buy her a roof, but I knew who could provide her a roof. And he wanted to show her that he had the power to be able to provide that for her. Uh, and so I'm just so thankful that I had that opportunity. That's my favorite thing. That's my favorite story from when I was there as an intern. And it wasn't a program. It wasn't a class. It wasn't anything like that. It was relationships. It was being the light of the world to the people that are just around you. Um, and that is, again, one of the things that just drives me is things like that where people see the love of God and they see the work of God and the power of God in their own lives. Um, and so that is what I'm going to Romania for a year to do is to show the power and the love of God and be that light of the world in that isolated place in the world. So in, on the next slide, these are some kids that have heard the gospel. We've had vacation Bible schools. Some of them were at our, our kids club that I had in the South. Um, but there are a lot more that haven't heard the gospel. And that is a shame. The Bible says, you know, shame, shame to you that they, they don't know. They've not heard. And so we are going to tell those who have not heard. So I would like you to please pray about partnering with me through the send offering, um, or if God leads to support me a certain amount monthly. Um, but I do want to take a moment and thank you so much because this church has been such a blessing to me. I am incredibly blessed to have a church family that's been behind me and supporting me for so many years. And I just really want to thank you for supporting what God is doing in northern Romania. Well, it's a joy to be back with you tonight, and uh, this is a really special night, uh, not only for Sarah, but for us to see how things have kind of come full circle for her, and, and such a great presentation, and uh, to hear her confidence, and clearly God is uh, speaking through her uh, as she shares what's on her heart. And uh, so that was a huge encouragement to me. I know it was encouragement to Ruth. Ruth is going to be working uh, directly with her, kind of as her mentor when she uh, comes to Romania. And uh, so they've been in 
pretty constant communication uh, since she uh, has begun this process of with BMM and, and so forth. And so uh, I know she's really excited about that and, and she'll probably uh, share a little bit about that uh, when she's up here. But uh, so just uh, we're there, very thankful for uh, the church and how you are behind Sarah at this early stage. And certainly we are praying that she will uh, have her full support so that she can come join us in June of next year and uh, be there for that year time and Lord willing, longer than that. And so uh, you have done what, what you can do and what you need to do as a church, and we're thankful for that. Uh, just to share a little bit about uh, what we're doing, uh, we've been back in the U.S. since uh, mid-May, and uh, we are probably in about oh, two-thirds of the way through our uh, furlough ministry in terms of reporting to churches and, and so forth. We had planned to go back in January. Uh, some things are going on, though, in our family with our oldest daughter, Celeste. Uh, she'll be graduating next May. And then uh, now she is engaged to be married. So that is going to happen a week after graduation. I know that's, uh, that's pretty uh, aggressive time-wise, but uh, the Lord knows about that, and uh, they are, are making the, the plans to, to have that. But uh, So we've moved our schedule back, knowing that uh, those two events will be happening pretty close together. It really makes sense for us to stay put rather than go out of the country and then come back for three months and, uh, or be in Romania for three months. And really, Ruth uh, wants to be involved in the planning of that and take some of those uh, responsibilities off of Celeste. Celeste is really um, busy right now, her final year, and uh, so God knew about that as well, and, and so we're, we're going to support her in that, and of course it's a, it's a fun time to be able to be a part of that, and it would be very hard to do that uh, on the other side of the Atlantic. So a um, few things uh, to share with you. Uh, what's really on my heart these days is what's happening, though, in Romania with the coronavirus. And uh, Romania has done pretty well up until the last month or so in terms of managing COVID. But uh, lately, it's just really, really ramped up with Delta. And the last week or so, there have been over 10,000 cases a day. Um, and today, the last two days have been closer to 15,000 uh, over 330 people died in the last 24 hours. That, that's a huge number. You know, normally it's in the, closer to 100. And so um, it's, uh, the medical system is really, really about at, at its breaking point in some areas. And, uh, you know, having spent time there, the medical system has been under pressure for a long time. But, you know, a crisis like this makes, makes things even worse. And so... Uh, my heart just breaks for people that are in the hospital right now because uh, things are much, much worse than they've ever been during this pandemic. Uh, they're, they're trying to put in place a 30-day, uh, basically, hold on any elective surgery. So, you know, that kind of gives you an indication, and already people are up in arms about that. But people that need urgent care are going to get urgent care, but they need to keep people that out of the hospital that are not needing to be there right now because it's just, it's a dire situation in many, many hospitals. And so please, please, please uh, pray for that. Um, and uh, fortunately in, in Northwest Romania, uh, the cases have been lower than they are in the more populated areas, but we're seeing the numbers across the country are going up and uh, it's just through, you know, there's, there's not the same limitations, just like here in the States, 
a lot of the restrictions have been put aside because things were were going okay. But Romania doesn't have the medical system that we have in the states, and so um, it's it's very very difficult to to see what's happening and and not be concerned. And so please pray for that. Uh, pray for our teammates. Luke and Kim will actually be coming into the states uh, next well in, in about a week and a half. Uh, for um, a conference that Luke has been asked to be involved with, and uh, it's at his alma mater, and so Kim will also be joining him for that. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a, a short trip for them, about th- two and a half weeks or so. Uh, we're hoping to get to see them for a little bit of time, but then they're right back into things. So pray for them, their travels. Uh, Luke's uh, you know, doing a lot of things last, uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, we have a lot of grape vines in our uh, the house we rent, and uh, so yesterday was grape harvest. So he and and a couple of the, uh, people from our church came and did that, and uh, so we're hoping that we'll have a, a good amount of juice this year. We'd like to give that out at Christmas time in bottles for the families in Lukshwara, and uh, uh, so uh, that's just one thing Luke's doing on top of everything else uh, he has going on. Um, he's also had uh, an injury to his uh, left index finger, and uh, it's pretty serious. Uh, he saw a hand specialist finally last week after some delays, and he is going to need to have that operated on uh, when he returns. And so um, you can pray for that just so he has full mobility of that finger again. But, you know, that's yet another thing he has to keep keep going with. And so... Um, as far as uh, our plans, you know, we're continuing to, to plan to be back at the end of May. Uh, pray for us as we travel. We have a lot of tra- travel in the next two months, especially before we get into December. Uh, so please uh, pray for safety for our family. Pray for our daughters with their college and all the things that are going on. Amber, our youngest, uh, started college. That was another reason we are back in the States right now. So she's at Miami and Oxford and, you know, we just had just saw her last weekend for Parents Weekend. She seems to be doing well. She's met a lot of international students. <laughs> surprise, surprise! She she likes the international kids. You know, she relates to them, and so um, so just pray for her. As there's still a lot of adjustments going on, and uh, we're urging her, you know, to to get a job and those things. And so pray for for that that she'll be able to balance that with everything else she has going on uh, school wise. Um, trying to think of some other things that you would like to know about. Um, you know, our uh, team has worked with uh, a number of uh, families in the community of Lungshuara, but one in particular where we used to have our services, uh, the, the family uh, is headed by Tarzan. Uh, Tarzan and, and his wife... Uh, they did uh, have problems in their marriage about five, six years ago, which it's a long story, but basically she uh, went off with another man, and so she's been out of the picture this whole time. But that led to uh, you know, a pretty steady decline in Tarzan's life. Well, God has brought him back to church over the last uh, year or so, especially, um, and he has remarried, but he's with a, a woman who is a, a good person who a hardworking woman. Well, she, we found out she got saved about two weeks after we came back to the States. And Tarzan had been in the hospital earlier this year with COVID, about six and a half weeks, 
very, very sick. He could have died because he has other health conditions uh, himself. But God spared his life. And he, that whole time, he was wanting to be back in church. He just didn't, he didn't want to be in the hospital anymore. And uh, a couple times, I remember his wife was like holding up the phone, you know, so he could see what was happening at church. And, uh, uh, but he came back and he came forward and rededicated his life. And so uh, Tarzan's been a good help to Luke through this time, but you can continue to pray for him uh, and his health, uh, just that he'd take care of himself. He still has some uh, things going on in his lungs, uh, but he is off oxygen, praise God. And uh, um, you can just uh, pray for his wife as well as she grows in her faith. Uh, Ramona is her name. So uh, those are some things uh, just off the top of my head that I wanted to share with you. Uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions, obviously, during the Q&A time or back at the table. We have our prayer cards on uh, there as well. They're new, and you can sign up for our prayer letter um, on the, the tablet that's back there. If you've not gotten that for a while, or maybe your address has changed since we were last here, just please uh, jot that down, a new, your new information, and we'll be sure to update you um, on our list. So thank you again. If you have a question, raise your hand, and uh, I'm going to repeat your question. That way anybody that's watching online can hear the question. And, uh, but please, any questions? If you guys run out of questions, I have them, and I have some things that I, I would like them to talk about. So, uh, and whichever one of you would like to take the mic when the time comes for whatever question, or if you're directing it to a certain person, that's okay too. But uh, let's do this. It's going to be fun. Right here on the front, Brother Fenwick. He asked about the status of women in Romania. In Romania, uh, both Romanian and Gypsy women are, are um, looked upon very favorably. Um, it is definitely a male-dominated society, but generally speaking, I see that the women are valued. Um, they, it's recognized what they provide for their family and what they do. In the past, they would be entirely at home, but in the past, you know, 20 or more years, many, many women are working outside the home. Um, but one of the things that's very important in a, a Romanian home and then also in a, a Roma or gypsy home is the presence of the grandmother because the grandmother living with them helps provide um, food. She is often the one doing um, most of the cooking, especially if the um, uh, mother is working outside of the home, even if it's for a few hours a day. And so she is doing a lot of uh, child care, of washing of laundry, of cooking food, all traditional, the old-fashioned way. And um, she does a lot of work there. Now, among gypsies, um, they're... The women are still valued, they are favored, but there is a lot that, um, a lot of injustice to them as well. Like, it is common for, for gypsy women to be beaten by their husbands. Um, and so they, they kind of walk this line. I'm told that not all of them do. I'm sure that is correct. But it is hard to see that sometimes or to know about that. I have only one time um, uh, seen a little bit of that. But I know that that is... Um, uh, part of it. We have a number of different ministries going on with women, and some of them have changed through the years. Um, but we have two outreaches in particular that I like to comment on in the fall and in the spring. And the women have come to really value those times. In the beginning, women didn't do anything separate from the, from the families, from the children. But this was something we did specifically for them, and it was very hard for their children not to come 
But now, <laughs> we were the ones saying, don't bring your children, please, if at all possible, and sending kids away at the gate. But now, they tell their children, these mothers, don't come with me, this is my time. And so they've been valuing that time that we have with them, sharing the gospel with them, playing games. Women do not play games in Romania, and just laughing and having fun together. So that's been a good ministry outreach. So the question is, uh, how much does it cost to build a church in Romania? Uh, I had a fair amount to do with the, the construction of our building. Um, and uh, we did try to utilize the Roma men that were in the community. Uh, that was probably, you know, in retrospect, uh, it created some challenges and some difficulties uh, in, the, in the work. But... Uh, in terms of the cost, you know, construction materials are pretty expensive and have been rising pretty steadily, over, especially over the last uh, five or six years. And uh, so, you know, that building is is probably in the boy, it's probably in the fifty to sixty thousand dollar category, just with all the it's all brick. It's all uh, we have a, a lot of concrete because the ground was not really excavated ahead of time. So and we had to go down pretty far because of the water table. So that we have a lot of uh, money that was invested in that foundation alone. The roof itself uh, is all tile, uh, which is very common construction. But it's and it it's intended to last. It will last for a long time. So you know, uh, but. And then our land, our land is, you know, it's probably another $10,000 in, in the land. So all that was done through, you know, generous donations of churches, individuals. Um, people love to get involved with construction projects. And we've not done a lot of that recently, but we always have things around the property that we, we love to have teams come and help us with. I remember when we built the fence around the property, uh, uh, the two parts of the fence we had to basically make concrete footers all along the whole length of the, the front and the back of the property. Uh, the sides, we didn't have to do that because we had neighboring properties, but on, the, on those areas where, that were facing outward, you know, we wanted to make sure the fence was extra strong and couldn't be just pushed over. And um, so, yeah, we had teams come and help us do that, but concrete's expensive. It's, it's hard to work with. It's not like building a stick house with wood and <laughs> we don't have dimensional lumber, you know, so it's, it's hard to get the things you want, you know. So, uh, so are there any, um, let's say as you guys go back in May, are there any projects or anything coming up that's like, man, we really want to accomplish this in the next year? Any, anything you have on your mind, any goals or plans yeah. uh, that you guys are working on? Some things uh, we've talked about um, Last year, we were able to, to put a perimeter of pavers around the building. Pavers are a little bit more common than just straight concrete in terms of a driveway and that. So we wanted to put pavers around the building just to make it easier to utilize the, the area next to the building for outdoor activities. Also make it easier when we're needing to bring things. We store all our wood in the back of the building in a, in a shed back there. So we wanted to make that easier bringing uh, loads of wood around to the front of the the, the front entrance um, and we'd like to extend that so we'd like to be able to include the parking lot now 
uh, make that level so that we could do basketball or do other games there that we can't do right now. Uh, the, the, we have a, a small soccer field and that area is good for doing outdoor games, uh, including soccer, but where there are times of the year we just can't use it because it gets so, so wet and doesn't drain as well as, as we'd like it to um, if we have a lot of heavy rain and it's just that the water table is very, very high. So we'd like to be able to, to do that. We also, um, at some point, would like to make more room for um, uh, like a wood shop uh, because woodworking is something that uh, Luke especially likes to do, but I enjoy as well to work with the, the young people, not just the boys, but the, you know, the girls like to do that as well, teaching them how to use tools. And uh, so we need, we have a shed where we kind of, that's kind of our all purpose room, but it's not very big because it, you know, so we'd like to make that bigger. So the driveway and then the shed is like your big, yeah, those cool. are kind of those, those are. Appreciate you sharing parts. that. Thank you. Yeah. We'll pray about that. Any uh, questions from the audience out here? Yes, Mr. Tenney. Uh, the question was, what is the average wage of your common worker there in Romania? Um, and is it different between, like, the Roma people than, like, your average Romania? I'd be interested to hear Yeah, that. I think right now, and it's, they're constantly wanting to change, you know, the minimum wage, which for Romanians, that's, I think, around, it would probably be the equivalent of about five or $600 a month. Um, for the Roma, many of them, if they're working in a in a factory or something, they would they would expect to get something similar to that. Most of them don't, though. They work just uh, under the table, day labor type jobs. So they might be, you know, they might be making uh, twenty five dollars a day, uh, thirty dollars a day if they're working in construction. Um, but that's not consistent. You know, many of them feel like, oh, I could just, you know, I could maybe during the summer, you know, they would work, but then that work goes away when the weather is, is poor. So, um, and the cost of living is pretty high, relatively speaking. I mean, food is very expensive. Energy, right now, there's an, uh, I didn't talk about, but there's an energy crisis in Europe. Uh, gas prices, natural gas has just gone through the roof. It's like 400% what it was last year. You know, they're just, they're scratching their head, you know, what are we gonna do? Um, and you know, fuel costs is also and electricity. All the, there's just that ripple effect. So, cost of living is high and wages are relatively low, and that's why Romania kind of remains at the bottom of Europe in terms of its economics and its uh, standard of living. Um, and does that answer your question? Yeah. If no one has their hand up, I have a question. Okay. Uh, this is for Sarah and you guys. Um, so our theme is about the call, answering the call. Um, what, or how did you know God called you? Like, what did that look like? What does a call look like to you guys? What, when, how, like, what were the circumstances? How did you know that God was speaking to you? Because sometimes it's hard for us to discern, is God calling me to do this? Is this something I should even get involved in? Should I really make that big change and big decision? How did you know? 
So one of the biggest ways that I knew is that wasn't something that um, I would have wanted to do as the person that I was at 13. <laughs> I was very shy. The first question that I asked them, because, you know, I, I was so shy. I didn't talk to anyone. I loved missions, missions Week, but I didn't want to talk to anybody. But I came up to them because I just felt so drawn, and I came out with, like, a squeaky question, and I'm surprised they even heard what I said. But I was just so shy, and um, it's so the certainty that I had of like, and the desire that I had to do it was like, this, this isn't coming from me, <laughs> you know, because this is not in me to desire this. Um, another thing which can kind of relate more to um, kids and teens, but uh, my parents uh, in my friend group, they were the strict parents. And it's for, for me to come home and say, hey, I'm going to Romania. I didn't ask, I said, I'm going to Romania. Uh, and that told them for one, that I was serious, that I wasn't asking the question. And two, them saying, okay, yeah, that was like, oh, oh my goodness, yeah, okay, so this is what I'm doing. Um, just the God worked different things in different ways. Um, and when I talk about my call to missions, I, I often talk about when I was 13, but at the time, all I knew was that I was going to go to Romania on a missions trip. That's all I knew at the time. I didn't know that I was going to become a missionary. It was an idea in my head, but I, I didn't know. And just after that, God continued to put that desire in my heart. And one day I was talking to my mom and um, I was like, well, what if it's not what I'm supposed to do? But I really want to do it, but it's, maybe it's not what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. And she said, Sarah, that's not a normal thing to want to do. If that's a desire that's in your heart, like not everybody has that, you know? So if that's something that's in your heart, then that's what God wants you to do. And so I was like, oh, okay. So um, yeah, I continued to pursue it and let, uh, let God you know, tell me if you wanted to, me to do anything different. He never did. He opened all the doors. And so that's, yeah, that about sums it up in a very long explanation. <laughs> uh, for me, it was a different experience in the sense that I was working in a secular profession. I was a technical writer, uh, and I'd done that for about 14 years after college. But uh, in that, those latter years of my first career, I was God was really working in my heart in terms of missions and through interacting with missionaries and just sensing the, the, the need for more missionaries. Um, and God kept bringing that to my mind and uh, also through the opportunity to go on a missions trip uh, two different occasions, but uh, those were influential as well. Uh, but there did come a time where I just felt like, you know, I needed to make sure that this is where what God wanted me to do and and not just continue doing what I had trained to do in college uh, so uh, having a, a Bible background in in college helped certainly but uh, for a long time I thought well maybe God will just use my writing as a way to uh, be involved in ministry or in missions and uh, God doesn't always uh, want you to kind of figure it all out for yourself. Uh, he often wants you to be ready and open to other avenues of ministry. So I had never done preaching before. I had never done a lot of public speaking. It's not something I really uh, wanted to do or felt comfortable doing. But uh, God knew all that. And God, uh, as he opened my eyes and, and caused me to, be, to, to put those things aside and let him worry about that, uh, he had the plan in mind in terms of taking us to Romania, putting us with 
our team there, but also putting us uh, with Aptism Admissions, which equipped us for the deputation side of things and uh, helping us to do things in an orderly way, not just be uh, getting on the next plane to Romania. Certainly there, there's a lot of advanced prep that goes into doing what we're doing and, and uh, Sarah is, is seeing that as well. But it, it, it pays dividends in the long run when you, you don't have to be constantly thinking about, you know, where's my next uh, uh, check gonna come from? Where's my next meal gonna come from? How am I gonna pay for travel back to the States and so forth? Um, those are all things that are, that are very essential for a missionary. And, but God, God did speak to me. He spoke to Ruth in, in, in the time leading up to that. But uh, she, she likes to share the story, but <laughs> you want Yeah. Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, you're probably thinking, oh, surely she was the dutiful Christian wife when her husband said, let's go. She said, absolutely. <laughs> well, it took me two years to get to that point. I'm not pleased with that, but I do like to share it because I think surely if uh, the things that I was feeling at the time, someone else is feeling that as well. My husband, as he said, went on the mission trip. He came back. He wanted to serve the Lord in missions. Of course, I had been seeing how God was using us in our, in our local church. We served in a lot of different uh, ways. We were always open to missions. Uh, as a child, missionaries came and stayed in our home. My parents personally supported them even beyond in the church. So it was just always a big part of life. But mm, felt like there was a big difference between praying for them, sending them some money, whatever they need, crayons and bandages and stuff, and actually being one. <laughs> and when he came back and, and said um, that, I thought, ooh, maybe it's like a summer camp high and it'll pass. I had two little kids, you know, I don't really, I knew enough, I knew enough personally about missions to know it's, it's can be hard, you know, it, it's hard for the women um, also, I mean, all around, you know, but, um, and every time he would bring it up every couple of months, and, and we argued over it. I was not, I was not ready. I, I didn't want to hear. I was, I was stressed about it. It was going to be too hard. I, I just knew, you know, too much, maybe, and, um, but we kept, we kept talking about it, and I, I prayed, and I prayed, God, please give me a sign, because I do want to serve you, but it wasn't, I could see that God was calling my husband, but I wanted to know that he was calling me, too, not just because I'm married to him, but he wants this for me, because I knew when the hard days would come, I needed to be certain that's where God wanted me to be, um, and that I wouldn't be a wife like I had known some where they left the field because she just, she was never really, really on board with it, and it was too hard, and I didn't want to be that. So I prayed and prayed for a sign. I thought, surely this isn't too, I'm not asking for something too great. I never got that sign, and then after two years, I just, I was at a crossroads, and I just thought, I can either I could say no and hold him back. I could, what, God, what do you want me to do? And I just realized, you know what? I want to serve God wholeheartedly, whatever he wants me to do. And God, if that's what you want, and that's what Dave feels certain God wants for, for him and us, then I will do it too, wholeheartedly, unreservedly. And I'll tell you, from that moment on, I felt like I got sign after sign, confirmation after confirmation. God wants willing hearts. 
And sometimes you see it before, I think sometimes you see it after, but he wants that wholehearted dedication. And it has, it, there have been hard days, there have been great days. It's, it's so worthwhile. It's the hardest thing we've ever done, but it's so worthwhile. And God, God uses that, so no, no regrets. Amen. I'm glad we had Ruth here tonight. This is great. So encouraging. Thank you for sharing that and being just open about that. Uh, listen, it's real life. Missionaries are real people. Uh, and I, I have one more question along those lines, but maybe we can, is there one more question out here? Yes. So the question is, how difficult is it to learn the language, and how do you do it? Uh, it takes a while. Uh, certainly, uh, we, were, we had the benefit of being able to go to language school for a little over a year, and that's really what our team advocates for brand new missionaries. Uh, Sarah's already done a lot of Romanian on her own, and in being in the country already, she's already had that exposure, so her path will be a little different. But Ruth and I showed up with no Romanian, and uh, our team had had other missionaries that had had a, a less than, you know, ideal situation where they got thrust into ministry right away and were not fluent in the language. So that sets you up for being dependent on translators and, and all of that. With, with that said, Romanian is probably not the, the easiest language, but certainly not the hardest language. Uh, it's a very phonetic language. You know, the, the rules are pretty limited um, in terms of the sounds and, and you can sound out words very quickly after just spending a couple weeks there. Uh, my experience was I had a teacher that really encouraged me to get out there and just use the language. So um, I did have lessons every day, almost every day, uh, for an hour or so. And uh, so I was doing exercises, but most of what I was doing was just being, uh, living life in a big city and uh, using the language, you know, very early on. Less than a month into language school, I had to, I had to call and order a taxi. And, you know, that's a really nerve-wracking situation because, you know, you, you're talking to the dispatcher, but she's talking to, like, three other people, and you don't know that she's talking to three other people. <laughs> and they get kind of rude with you, and it's just like, you don't know if the taxi's coming or not. <laughs> but, uh, but that was just a real-life situation where we lived. You know, we didn't have a vehicle yet, and uh, taxis were r readily available. So, um, but, uh, so... Generally, a year is is what you know most people I think take to be where they're able to really be uh, fluent and feel comfortable. You're not perfect by any means, but you're able to to interact. And that's if you've done you know if you've gotten out there and you've been been using it. If you just stay home and you know read your books and that, that's that's not going to be sufficient. You really need to be you know hearing it, talking to people, and and hearing it at full speed, you know, that, that was a thing you had to work up to, you know, being able to process in, in real time. <laughs> and that doesn't just happen automatically. You had to, to work at it. So. But your kids. No, in, in Romania. So we, we went to a big city. Now where we uh, were working, where we work now, we were about, you know, a good three hours away. Uh, but it, it was just that was where there, we knew there were good schools and 
good opportunities to learn the language. So, um, so yeah, Ruth worked with a tutor. She had a private tutor that came to our house, so that worked out really well because the two of them could just meet in the kitchen. I would go, you know, about two blocks from our apartment to the language school. God, God knew about that. We picked the apartment not knowing the language school is <laughs> right around the corner. But uh, so different experiences, but both very positive. And then your kids learn it. <laughs> in a couple of months by playing with other kids and they've got all the slang and they have all the proper accents and everything and then you keep asking them about for help um so my question is uh so we're talking about the call uh and god may call someone in here someone in our church one of us uh to be a foreign missionary to uh, pursue a ministry as opposed to a career, you know, much like you guys did. But my question is, just so we can understand, how has this calling, this decision to follow Christ affected your family? Uh, when you go to your immediate family, your extended family, and say, hey, we're going to Romania. I know you shared a little bit already, Sarah, but I, I'd be curious, how, how has it affected your family? Uh, and how have you navigated those changes with family? Uh, Yeah, so um, I am very blessed with my parents. My parents are amazing. Um, and they are very sensitive to God. Um, and so when I did say, you know, hey, I'm going to Romania, and they said, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, they laid out some things for me to do because I had to be able to talk to people first. So I had to order my own food at restaurants after that. But uh, it helped. Um, so, yeah, they were, they were very, very supportive. Um, and my mom, uh, she never really talks about how hard it is for her, you know, and I know it is. Um, and, but she just doesn't want to put that on me. The, the way that I have to look at it is it's, it would be really easy for me to look at my family and all of the support that they give me and then see my value to them and go, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to leave that. Now, that would be very easy. But I have to think of the scripture um, where Jesus says, if you don't, you know, hate, which, you know, if you value your family over me, if you value your family over what I told you to do, then that's not following me. And so I have to, even if it's difficult, put that aside and say, following God is worth it. And uh, he will provide everything that I need and praise the Lord for the internet because uh, it's not like a hundred years ago. I don't have to write letters and wait for a month to get anything back from, from my family. You know, um, we can communicate. When I was there for the five and a half months, we communicated um, once a week. We did a phone call. I was up very late because of the time difference, but um, able to communicate. So that was nice. But yeah, I'd say as far as how it's affected my family, um, I've grown up with the idea that I would probably be a missionary. My parents have grown up with the idea that I would probably be a missionary. And so um, that's been a blessing in and of itself to have grown through that and grown into that. Our families have been very supportive of our desire to go to Romania as missionaries and our time there. Um, both sets are believers. Um, most in our family and extended family are believers, and they have just been very, very supportive, which has been a huge help. I know that's not always the case for missionaries. 
um, you can often feel like you're um, just kind of pulled in different directions, the duties, the expectations, the desire to help, particularly now as we're kind of in that that sandwich period with aging parents here in the States, um, growing daughter, grown essentially daughters who are going to be, are starting their, their adult lives here. And there, there is a physical loss. Um, you don't get together as much as you want to physically. Um, there, there are things like that. And, and that needs to be considered. That needs to be known. And it needs to be grieved. But there are many ways of staying in touch. My mother, for example, has stayed in touch with her granddaughters um, and has done a really good job with that, and they do feel close to her. There are ways of staying in contact. And one of the things that we've just had to see is that there, while there is a, a physical loss, there is a spiritual gain. And we have just had to place that higher, never to the point of neglecting families, but knowing that God has called us to something that's different. Uh, um, he calls all of us to serve him faithfully, but, but this takes more than, than many Christians um, um, need to do or, or need to face. But he, God helps us um, each day and, and keeping those relationships and helping us with parents and with children as well. And, and it's still, it's just very, very worth it. And there are gains on the field spiritually. I mean, one, one little girl that just always comes to mind, we found out when her mother was pregnant that um, uh, she just was not going to be able to have this baby and, and take care of it. And, and so we, she said she wanted to abort the baby. I mean, she didn't want to, but she felt that's what she needed to do. We went and talked with her. We talked and talked and talked over quite a few you know, weeks and prayed with her. And thankfully, in the end, she decided not to abort that baby. Well, that little girl, Sophia, is five years old now, and she's in my little kid's Sunday school class. I mean, that's a physical life that God used us to save, and they're spiritual lives that need to be one, too. And so we have to, you know, while it's hard, we have to be careful about what we, what we value the most. All right. <laughs> Why did I ask these tough questions? That's very powerful. Thank you for sharing. Um, you know, we, these are the tough decisions that we face as uh, every day making decisions. And uh, these are spiritual decisions. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Um, are there any more questions out here? If not, I've got one more and then we're going to wrap it up. Any more? Yes. So the question is, what type of opposition is, is, are they facing either from the other churches or the government in Romania? Uh, we have it pretty good in Romania overall. Uh, we are, as far as the government is concerned, we have a religious association. It's registered with the government, and we're there uh, to, we're very open about that. We're there to plant churches, to do Bible education, and as long as we stay within those guidelines that we put in our constitution as a, a group, um, you know, we don't have any issues and we really never have had anyone knocking on our door, you know, trying to verify what we're doing. And uh, some of that's just our location. We're, we're in a pretty remote area. But uh, at the same time, um, you know, we're thankful for that. Uh, 
you know, visas are probably, that's the hardest thing to come by at the moment just because we don't have a long, uh, as long of time for each visa. So right now we get about two years each time. And uh, so the process is, it's still kind of long and cumbersome. And um, it's, it gets, it seems to get easier each time in the sense we, we know what to do. <laughs> but you always kind of hold your breath. Am I going to get approved? Am I going to get two years or are they just gonna you know give me we could probably get as little as a year they probably wouldn't give us any less than that so um, that's that's probably the hardest thing as far as the the church goes in our village we there have been issues at times with the Orthodox Church with the priest there he has just recently retired so now we have a, a much younger person taking that role I don't even know if he's living in the community yet um, so it, it kind of remains to be seen, but it, as it relates to the Roma people, um, you know, he would come and do services like a, a baptism or because they do infant baptism, or he would do a funeral or a wedding. Uh, but many of the Roma folks are not, they're not engaged in the week to week going to church at the, at the you know, the cathedral there in the, in the village. But um, it's a it's a there's a price that's you know charged for all these services that the church does and that that's a burden to to the roma people many times because they don't they don't have money just lying around for those emergencies in life and that's that's an area where we as a church we we try to be involved and be generous in helping meet those funeral expenses for instance um, not to put ourselves at a higher level than the Orthodox Church, but there's just been several instances where people have not been allowed to be buried because they're seen as being part of our church, even though the rest of their family is buried in the Orthodox Cemetery, and they make a big deal about that. Um, and, you know, to the extent they, they scare them into saying, well, if you're not buried here, you're not going to be with your family in eternity. You know, just a lot of that intimidation that shouldn't be coming from any church <laughs> but uh so we've we've stayed clear that we you know we don't we've never had a bad you know uh dispute or anything like that but we just kind of keep keep our ground and and try to be do right by people in the village especially and we don't badmouth the orthodox church you know but it's it is obviously a false religion and we have to call it what it is so thank you all right uh last question uh it's kind of a, a, a double question here so if both of you if all of you really could give one piece of advice if you could give one piece of advice to someone about the topic of following jesus what would it be so from your experience from your knowledge of your walk with the lord if you had one piece of advice and then after you share your one piece of advice, if you could please share uh, your most important need right now, whether it's a, a physical need or just a prayer request about something, uh, we'd like to know that so we can pray for you about that. So, Piece of advice, prayer request. So my piece of advice is super cheesy, but um, I will say that it has definitely been a help to me in my walk, and that is... Um, don't doubt what God, in the darkness, don't doubt what God has revealed to you in the light. There are times in our lives where we can get very discouraged. There are times when it becomes more difficult to hear what God is saying to us. And um, 
times of depression, times of anxiety. And in those times, it can be easy to go, well, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, maybe I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing here. But you really have to trust um, that God has given you a purpose. God has given you something to do. And even when it's really difficult and you don't feel super duper joyful about it, <laughs> that you're still doing it and you get past that. You get past that darkness, you get back in the light, and you can really see how God worked in the darkness when you get back to the light. So um, that would be my piece of advice. As far as my greatest need, um, I mean, I said on Sunday I am raising um, a little over $35,000, so I'm just getting started. So I would say that's my greatest need, <laughs> um, is to reach um, a good level of support um, so that I can get over there because I got to be a hundred percent before I get there in June. So um, if you would pray for me on that. Um, I think one of the things that I, I think about often in terms of following Jesus is that um, we feel like like the process should go faster than it does. We should grow faster. We should see results faster. Um, people should want to be saved faster. <laughs> um, that, but it's, it's slow and steady faithfulness to serving the Lord. And when you're doing what he wants you to do and you're leaving the results to him, making sure you're not getting in the way and, and, and you're doing all that you can, it's, it's a long process and but we get so caught up on on wanting things to happen you know much much more quickly and 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 um uh defining success by that when we when we see quick progress and um so it's ministry is a marathon it is not a sprint it's going to take time and you know it's the same thing here when you're involved in people's lives, you know, it's messy sometimes, it's complicated sometimes, it's wonderful sometimes, other times it's really frustrating. But much of the time when people get saved, it's because someone has come alongside and it's been time and time and time and time that God's been working on their heart, but he's been using someone um, as well. So, so that kind of faithfulness. Um, as far as greatest need I don't feel like I have like one specific thing right now during this furlough it's it's um uh, maybe me with um with family relationships and relationships with with people here daughter getting married daughter and uh starting off college and and uh, my mother turning 80 next week and she's also going to be moving and and my uh, father's passing and some things like that so it's a good to be back with face to face <laughs> with family and so um, um, so just continue on prayer for that and then when I go back to Romania um, some new some new areas of ministry uh, I would say you know for those considering missions uh, obviously uh, remain open keep an open mind in terms of what God can and will do don't try to figure it all out uh, because you can you can quickly defeat yourself or, or psych yourself out in the sense you, you may not do what you're supposed to do. And uh, that was something for me, I like to really plan uh, 
I'm not necessarily a planner, not like in the same way my wife is, but I do like to kind of think through different scenarios and kind of have things figured out before I make a decision. And so that's just kind of the way I'm wired. But that doesn't work. Uh, that's not really, doesn't require a lot of faith if you have it all figured out and you've worked through all the options. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a first step for anybody thinking about missions. Doesn't have to be scary though. It's something that, uh, you know, you're not gonna, God is not gonna let you go off the beaten path if you're trying to do what he wants you to do. Uh, but that takes prayer. It takes a lot of uh, counseling in terms of talking with uh, your pastor, those who you, you uh, have confidence in, in terms of uh, being a leader in your life spiritually. Uh, those things together, but, but let God uh, be open to what God can do. And uh, that's, that's probably the biggest thing I, would, I took away coming at it later in life. Uh, as far as need, I would kind of reiterate some of the things Ruth has said. Um, it's it's going to be hard going back uh, without our daughters. Uh, we had Amber with us this last time for the last three years uh, just by herself. And... Uh, you know, that dynamic was different than having two girls in the house, but now it's going to be just Ruth and I, and it's not that, yeah, yeah, Sarah will be filling that void a little bit, but, uh, but seriously, it's, it is hard, uh, I think it's, did, I didn't realize how hard it was going to be, I kind of, it snuck up on me this, you know, towards the end of the term, you know, it will, it will become harder as we get closer to going back, um, and also just for our girls to, you know, as Ruth said, making those adult des decisions, uh, but most of all, living for the Lord, not just, you know, going on their own because they're out, they're out from under our roofs, you know, making the choice, I want to serve God, I want to be involved in a local church. And those, they're, they're at that point right now, both of them, probably Amber more so, uh, were a little more, you know, concerned just because she's in a secular environment 24-7. Um, and uh, that's, that's all new to her, so you can be especially praying for our daughters and, and for Ruth and I as we go back. <laughs> so. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Uh, we'll definitely be praying God gives you strength uh, through just all of the things you guys are dealing with, with family and all of that. Uh, going back, uh, under, we're going to pray for you that God would provide your needs. Every single penny is what we're, what we're praying about.